Hey, Spring Creek Church Online. I am so glad that we are together today. My name is Pastor Jessica and I'm the online campus pastor here at Spring Creek Church. And I'd like to say welcome to Spring Creek Church Online. I am so excited that we are together and I'm also excited whenever I get the honor and the privilege to be able to teach uh, the word of God. And so today I wanna talk to you about something that's a little difficult. It was actually difficult putting this sermon together, but it's something that I know is needed. So I wanna talk to you about about healing the wounds of betrayal. So as we get started, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day that you have given us, Lord. I just pray for every single person that's watching this um, today, Father, that you would bless them, that you would use them, Father God, that this word would penetrate the, the broken places of their heart, Father, and bring healing in their lives and healing in their relationships. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus's name. Amen. Guys, I just love posting pictures of my husband and I that reflect these intimate moments that we have together of joy and happiness and laughter and playfulness and quirkiness. The problem with posting pictures like this is that sometimes it gives the impression that our relationship is perfect or that it's void of any type of marital conflict. After 23 years of marriage, I can confidently say that if you've been married for any substantial amount of time, that you don't get to be married for 30, 40, or 50 years years without going through some stuff. And by stuff, I mean anything that can be hurtful, painful, or anything that, that, that causes betrayal. So what makes these pictures that I post so special to me is that it reminds me of all the stuff that we overcame and how we went through it all and came out the other side better, stronger, and more united than before. You see, those images with smiles and giggles remind me of God's faithfulness in our marriage. It reminds me of all the amazing things that God has done. They remind me of all the moments that we thought, you know what, God, I don't know if I can make it through, but God helped us through those moments. Those images remind me of the power of forgiveness and restoration. And when we both submit ourselves to God's will for our marriage, all the amazing things that can happen. You see, all marriages face seasons of sorrow, pain, and heartbreak. Here's a loaded question for you today. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever trusted someone and they broke the bond of trust between you two? I'm sure that each of us can say that someone has betrayed our trust. And I'm also sure that we can say that we have betrayed someone's trust as well. Betrayals can range from lying to yourself, to revealing a secret, to infidelity. And betrayal can come from all sorts of people like parents, siblings, children, friends, bosses, coworkers, neighbors, and spouses. Now, not my coworkers and bosses. I have the best coworkers and bosses, but I have had some pretty awful neighbors. Today, we will explore healing the wounds of betrayal, specifically in marriage. So that we are all on the same page, Let's talk about God's plan for marriage. Biblical marriage is a marriage that is God-ordained covenant relationship between a man and a woman. A covenant relationship is a binding promise till death do us part or until one of you kill each other. Now, I, you know I'm just kidding about that. But it's unlike a contract that can be temporary and without the need for a relationship. Jesus tells us in Matthew 19, 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We should view a biblical marriage as one flesh, a single organism. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He said he explains it best when he said, 
the inventor of the human machine was telling us that its two halves, the male and female, were made to be combined together in pairs, not simply on the sexual level, but totally combined. So what exactly does that mean? That means that we would both be submitted to God's will for our relationship, that it it would advance God's kingdom, that we would both have the same vision for our family, that our actions move our relationship in the same direction, that our thoughts would be towards God and each other, and that it would be evidence of our obedience to God. Genesis 2.24 states that that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. It points out that the bond of marriage is even greater than the bond of a child to a parent. Biblical marriage is also based on the covenant of agape love. That means that we love the other person the way that God loves us. It is the highest form of love. He loves us unconditionally and sacrificially. In this lifetime covenant, we no longer live for ourselves, but we are empathetic to our spouse. We desire the best for them and we help them and we always demonstrate good intentions in our interactions with them. Now you're probably thinking, um, these expectations are way too high and you're right. They are super high. And as humans, it is impossible to love that way without God's help. You see, in order to love like God, we must be in relationship with God. In the Old Testament, God uses the prophet Hosea to speak to the northern kingdom of Israel about their continued disobedience. They were supposed to serve only God, but they were unfaithful in their worship and took on other gods. They had rebellious king after rebellious king, and the whole nation was in chaos. God uses Hosea not just to tell them about their sinful ways, but through his marriage to show them about their their infidelity towards him. This is a little scandalous, but God is really making a strong statement through Hosea's story. In the first chapter, Hosea was told by God to marry a promiscuous woman. Now, can you imagine if God told you to do that? I mean, would you actually do that? I'd be like, um, I'm sorry, God. Uh, who do you want me to marry? Oh, you want me to marry that one that has all the women and I know is going to cheat on me? Uh, I'm good, but thanks for asking me anyway, right? But Hosea is a man of obedience and he marries Gomer anyway. They have three children together and God symbolically names them God's souls, no compassion, and not my people. And at this point, you're probably figured out by the last two names that they weren't even Hosea's children. Even though Gomer is continuously unfaithful, Hosea demonstrates God's character and loves her despite her infidelity. Though the story of Hosea and Gomer theologically represents the unfaithfulness of Israel in their worship to other gods, this story also reminds us of God's faithfulness, his love, and his mercy towards his people, even though he is a God of justice who moves in judgment against sin. He is also a God of redemption who cares for and blesses his people. In chapter two, we read about Hosea's anger against his wife, which describes God's anger against Israel's adultery. But reading this story in a practical sense, Hosea's wife returned to her life of adultery. And these words are reflective of the pain and suffering and anger that come along with betrayal. It says in Hosea chapter two, verses two through four, 
Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Gomer's infidelity was not just a betrayal of love. It was a betrayal of the marriage covenant. C.S. Lewis describes infidelity as perjury, meaning we lie under oath or vow. In this case, our marriage vows. Infidelity in a relationship is heart-wrenching. It's hurtful. It's destructive, not only to the person who has been betrayed, but to the betrayer as well. The person who has, who has been betrayed can feel numbness. They can feel anger, guilt, self-blame, loss of self-esteem and loss of self-worth, harmful thoughts about the affair, lack of trust in others, difficult concentrating, suspicion, anxiety, depression, and other mental health symptoms. But not only does it affect mental health, the pain of betrayal can also affect, uh, can cause physical symptoms like muscle pain and insomnia, rapid heartbeat and stomach issues. And on top of all that, as part of the process of going through the experience of infidelity, people can experience the seven stages of betrayal trauma. And these are in no particular order, but they can experience shock. The person is in complete disbelief that this actually happened to them. They say that it feels like a dream, but I would say it probably feels more like a nightmare that you can't wake up from. They will feel denial. The person may pretend it didn't happen or, or, or they might just ignore it or they might just rationalize or justify the betrayal that's happening. They, they might go through obsession where this is where the person can't stop thinking about the betrayal and what may have gone wrong. The person will definitely experience anger. And this is where they start expressing the rage and hurt that they are feeling. And, and it may be toward the betrayer or it could be anyone in their circle of influence. They could go through the stage of bargaining this is where the person tries to make a deal with God and the people affected by the betrayal and they try to fix things. So there's a lot of pleading and there's a lot of promises. The person could experience depression. The person will stink into deep sadness and despair and, and they may lose interest in things that they used to enjoy and, and feel like there is no hope left. They may ultimately experience acceptance. And this is when the person finally comes to terms with what happened. They may not be happy about it. It is difficult, but they begin to start thinking about how to move forward. There are decisions that need to be made about how to move forward after the infidelity. You can decide to move forward with divorce or you can begin the process of reconciliation. Now I make that sound very simple, but those are two very difficult things. Let's discuss these options because whichever you choose won't be easy. They're both gonna require hard work, forgiveness, and healing for all involved. Some people think that divorce is the easiest option and I will tell you that I've never heard someone say divorce has been easy. I've seen people who have been divorced for years are happily remarried and are brought to tears when they talk about it. I also know people who regret their decision and live with that regret. There are also people who were in a destructive, harmful relationship and divorce actually saved their life, but it was still difficult. Everyone has their opinions on divorce and, and just like today, divorce was a highly debated topic during Jesus's time. 
In the Old Testament, Moses tried to provide civilized guidelines for divorce listed in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And I want to read that to you really quick. It says, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. Without any legal proceedings or involvement of a religious organization, women were given a bill of divorce listing the reason why they want a divorce. All this was done in the presence of a witness chosen by the husband. Now that doesn't sound very fair, does it? During Jesus's time, there were two schools of thought based on Deuteronomy 24, which we just read. The first was led by Rabbi Hillel, who felt like a man could divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. For example, um, you know, I thought that you were going to be like one of those women who had babies and they didn't get any stretch marks and you did. So guess what? Divorce. P.S. You're a horrible cook, too. They could divorce you for any reason whatsoever. The second school of thought was led by Rabbi Shammai, who felt like the only offense allowing divorce would be infidelity. And in both cases, divorce was only initiated by men and women had no say in it and were not able to protect themselves whatsoever. The word divorce means thrown away. And when these women were given the bill of divorce, essentially what the husband was saying was that they were throwing them away and they would be thrown away with no money or resources to be able to take care of themselves. She only had one way to make a living, which was prostitution. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, our instinct as humans is to try to take that statement and create a legalistic set of rules to determine when divorce is allowed. Because that's what we do as humans. Everything is very black and white with no gray areas. But anyone that has ever been in a relationship knows that there really is no black and white. We mostly live in the gray areas. But instead of, of, of looking at that Bible verse as a set of rules, we should look at the heart and intention of Jesus's teaching based on human relationships. That's why when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In Matthew 19, 7, Jesus responds to them and he says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Jesus reminds them that divorce wasn't God's intention from the beginning, but that Moses allowed divorce to protect women from hard hearted men who threw their wives away, forcing them into the life of prostitution. Jesus is such a boss that in Mark chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, Jesus is talking to the disciples about the Pharisees question about divorce. And, and, and he tells them anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. You see, Jesus is teaching that marriage is not a male dominated institution. 
but both husband and wife are equally responsible in lifelong obedience to their marriage covenant. Moses and Jesus were on the same page concerning divorce. Though divorce wasn't part of God's original design for marriage, it was better to, to divorce to protect women who were defenseless and trapped by this evil, destructive practice of getting rid of their wives for no reason. So how does this provide guidance for divorce today? God intended for us to live as one flesh for a lifetime. And divorce is like cutting into a living organism and amputating a limb. Believers should see divorce as a last ditch solution and shouldn't be taken as a solution because maybe you've just fallen out of love with your partner, or maybe you, you've fallen in love with somebody else. But before we consider divorce, we should take advantage of the resources provided by our Christian communities and professionals who can facilitate the process of, of restoration and healing. And that brings us to a crossroad of God's intention for marriage and human failure. We are sinful people living in a sinful world. And though divorce is less than God's intended best for us, despite all our best efforts, when the, when the marriage is full of destruction and is causing more damage and harm than, than, than the actual divorce itself, then the marriage should end. If you are in a harmful relationship, I say this, get out now. The covenant of agape love, meaning loving like God loves us, dictates that there should be a divorce without discarding the other person. That means that just because we're going through a divorce doesn't mean that, that we have to throw this person away, mistreat them, and, and completely leave them with no resources, as was done to the women in the Old Testament. But let fairness and care be the focus of this difficult situation. Divorce should not be malicious or harmful. Either you love this person or you still love this person, but either way, we should continue to have their best interests at heart. For those of you who are divorced already, you're probably thinking about your divorce right now at this moment. And maybe you're thinking about, you know, why it happened and how it happened and how it, it and how it led to that decision and, and maybe questioning whether you, you both put in the last ditch effort to redeem the marriage. Hear me loud and clear. Do not feel shame or condemnation in any way. God is greater than that situation. Delight yourself in God's grace. Delight yourself in his mercy, in his forgiveness and acceptance. Learn from that experience. We can't change the past, but you can be free from any control that it may have over you and your future decisions. Immerse yourself in God's love and care for you and the care that he has for your heart. When we choose the process of restoring our marriage, what we are saying is that we want to bring our relationship back to God's original plan of, of, of a biblical marriage. We have the greatest model of restoration, which is the ultimate act of Jesus Christ that restored our relationship with God. In choosing reconciliation, we are choosing to forgive like Christ forgives us. Jesus never said forgiveness would be easy, but he says in Matthew 6, 15, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. In the process of reconciliation, we choose continuous forgiveness. Just because we forgive doesn't mean that we forget. It is very difficult to extend forgiveness and it is possible. 
But forgiveness will dull the pain of the betrayal when we do remember what happened. We are choosing to show the other person agape love, God's unconditional love. In chapter three of the book of Hosea, his story continues. God said to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they return to other gods. At that point, Gomer was with another man and possibly even a slave. Hosea upholds his covenant of agape love and buys her back so that she is free from slavery and prostitution and can be restored as his wife again. Hosea redeems her just how Jesus redeems us. He bought us for the ultimate price so that we could be where he is one day as his bride. How beautiful is that? Hosea tells us in Hosea 3, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. This was the beginning of reconciliation. Hosea basically tells her, stop the foolishness. He wants them to live in abstinence of sexual relations for many days until they can resume normal life as husband and wife. Now I want to share this really quick. One time my husband and I, we thought this was it. We thought that we were done. And in deciding that we were not going to move forward together, we actually separated and that lasted about a month. The pain that we experienced being apart was worse than the pain that we had caused each other by being together. And so I love how Hosea takes this time to uh, reconcile with his wife because I think that time apart makes the heart grow fonder. It helps us clear our minds and our hearts so that we can really see what God is doing. Reconciliation and forgiveness takes time and it takes patience. During the restoration process, both parties should take ownership and repent. Both parties should self-examine their thoughts. They should self-examine their feelings and attitudes and behaviors. Both parties should be sincere about actively listening and communicating honestly. Both should have boundaries with each other and you should have boundaries with other people. Both parties should be patient with the healing process and rebuilding trust that takes time. The process is not linear. It ebbs and flows. It's time to go to therapy alone and, and go to therapy as a couple. And no matter what you choose, whether it's divorce or reconciliation, forgive and seek personal healing. But I promise if you keep God at the center of it, he will guide you. He will get you through and God will be glorified. Years ago, I was part of a women's group that met at the patio of a Starbucks. The leader uh, of the group was fun and charismatic and she was loving and she was passionate about God and his word. You know, what intrigued me the most about this leader was her testimony. She was uh, uh, honest, she was open, and she was transparent. If you guys never heard the acronym, it's called HOP. She shared how she was addicted to drugs, cleaned up, and married a nice guy. I make it sound simple, but it's very difficult. A year into the marriage, she relapsed, left her husband, and went to live with her drug dealer boyfriend. Her husband begged for her to come home, and she just wouldn't come home. He moved away from their home state, joined a church, and joined a group. Every week in the group, at the end of their time together, the leader would say, do we have any prayer requests? Every week, he would raise his hand and say, can you pray for my wife? 
that God would free her from her addiction and bring her home. A year later, at the end of the group, they prayed the same prayer every single week. As they left, they walked into the lobby of the church together, and there they saw his wife standing there after a whole year. She said that that week she was with her boyfriend and, and she had felt the strongest conviction of her life to leave drugs and go back home to her husband. She left her boyfriend when he wasn't home, borrowed money from her, from her mom to get to Florida. She didn't know where her husband lived, but she knew what church he went to. So she showed up at the church, hoping someone would know where to find him. And there she not only found her husband, but she got to meet the group who had prayed for her for a whole year. Their process of restoration was long. They went to counseling alone and they went to counseling together. They cried, they prayed, they got angry, they forgave, they remembered, they forgave some more, they cried again, and they prayed again. And they did this over and over. They told each other the truth. They sought God and they studied his word together. They gave each other agape love. They kept meeting with the community of believers and, and they began to help others in the same situation. They were patient with themselves and each other. That was over 15 years ago. Today, they have a beautiful son who they adopted. And after years of not being able to conceive, she is pregnant with her first daughter. Whether you choose divorce or reconciliation, do not withhold forgiveness from your partner. It is essential no matter the decision that you make, it will bring personal healing. And I want you to remember how it felt when you needed forgiveness from God or, or when you needed from forgiveness from somebody that you hurt. Extending forgiveness feels so good when you have delighted in the forgiveness that was extended to you. There is hope for healing and restoration in your marriage. There is hope. If you are a person who is going through the situation, we have a list of counselors that, that we can recommend who can begin the process with you as an individual and a couple. And if you are a person who has gotten a divorce or you are going through a divorce right now, we have a divorce care group that will provide support throughout the process. You can find these resources at springcreechurch.org. Now I wanna leave you with this one last statement. There is nothing God can't heal when there are two people who are committed and submitted to doing the hard work and keeping Christ at the center of your relationship as a model of redemption. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this day that you have given us, Father. I pray, Father, for every couple, Lord, that has gone through infidelity, Father, that you may heal the broken places of their hearts, Father, that you may wipe away their tears, Father God, that they may experience hope, Lord Jesus, that right now that you may give them peace, Lord Jesus, that if they feel unloved, that if they feel rejected, Father God, that they would feel your warm embrace around them, Father God. Lord, and for all those people that are just contemplating the decision, do I get a divorce? Do, do, do I want to restore this relationship, Father God, that you would guide them in the steps, Lord Jesus, to be able to do that, Lord, and that whatever their decision is, Father God, that they would extend agape love, Lord Jesus, and that ultimately, Father God, that whatever decision they make would glorify you, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for this day, Lord, and we pray peace and love over everyone that's watching, Father, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us this week. If, if you think this message could be helpful to someone you know, please be sure to share it with them. We have great resources available for you at SprinkreeChurch.org. Also, stay tuned for upcoming announcements on our new Spring Creek Church online campus. You can text online to 96995 to stay connected. See you next week as Pastor Key starts a new sermon series, Rated PG. You don't want to miss it.